right, you may be seated. Hey, listen real quick. Um, tonight we're going to continue in the I Am Jesus series. Last week I told you that um, I'm going to start, I'm going to take a break from I Am Jesus um, in August, and I don't even know how many weeks, but I told you that we were going to do a teaching series called Signs. You want to show that slide? And what it is, um, I want to show how um, we are living in a day and age where many of the prophetic signs that you find in the scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, are being fulfilled in our day, in our time, which means that um, the watchers on the wall should be paying close attention. Amen? And that, of course, is us as the saints. And so I want to talk to you about what those signs are, the things that are very, very clear, very obvious according to Scripture. Jesus himself said, you won't know the exact day or hour, but you will know the seasons uh, of the end times. And so um, I won't be setting any dates (laughs) for when Jesus comes back, in case you're wondering. But I am just going to talk very frankly, very openly about what um, we believe as a church, this book your app says about the signs of Jesus' second coming. We are all clear that Jesus is coming again. And he is coming for a pure and spotless bride. It's very important for us to be ready. Okay? Amen? What I want to do tonight is um, turn to John chapter 1. And I want to do... Another teaching in the I Am Jesus, A Look at the Life of the Christ series. And as I was preparing this message, actually two weeks ago, I was reading through um, chapter 2. You guys remember we talked about the miracle of Cana a couple weeks ago. And I was reading through the end, through chapter 2, and kind of getting ready to move forward in this teaching series. And I read something in particular And it stopped me in my tracks, and I felt like the Lord said, the miracle at Cana is not where Jesus began his ministry. Go back and try again. (laughs) I was like, you know? And so really trying to understand what the Lord was saying, what what he meant, there's one verse in particular that I felt like I was to meditate on to try to get what he was saying, and it's John chapter 2, verse 11. And we read it in that teaching about the miracle at Cana. But I want to read it again and show you what stopped me in my tracks. Ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit through his written word. It says, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. By the way, this scripture is actually very important as we do this teaching series called Signs. Because much of what Jesus did was signs of what was to come. They weren't just things to clarify and fulfill things that have happened in the Old Testament, but also to point ahead to what God would still do in the future. So when we see this signs, we're already setting up for this science teaching series, aren't we? But let's look at this. It says, this miracle at Cana was the beginning of his signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. As I was reading this, and I read it over and over and over to try to figure out what am I supposed to go back and focus on? What am I supposed to go back and focus on? What am I supposed to go back and focus on? Can any of you guess what it is that I missed? Huh? No, it's in this scripture right here. 
This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And his disciples believed in him. You know, the miracle at Cana isn't how he started his ministry. He started his ministry by going and picking some guys to follow him and to teach so that when he ascended to the Father after his resurrection, there would be men who could carry on the call. Isn't that something? It's like, oh! So let's go back and let's look at that. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just kind of read through and teach through this and then I'm gonna ask a couple of questions along the way to see where we're at. And what I might do if we have time at the end is I might actually tie some of this into um, the ruling that we got last week, okay? If I have time, I'll do that. Um, More than likely, I'll make the time. Okay, anyway. So, (laughs) you know, y'all laugh because, you know. Okay, so let's look back at 1 John chapter 1. Starting in verse 35. Now we know, real quick, before we get started in this, we know that John the Baptist was sent by God to be a harbinger, okay? To be a messenger, to be someone who would go before the Messiah and prepare the way. And, and man, I wish I had time to go into a ton of stuff here. But what John the Baptist was doing literally wasn't um, what he was doing in the physical human flesh kind of a thing. Is something that they used to do um, when royalty would enter into a city they would send out what they would call harbingers or these people to go out before and ahead and clear the way, okay? They would, they would move big rocks out of the way. They would level any roads, make straight path, make, make the path straight, the roads level. You guys may be familiar with some of those scriptures in the Old Testament. Um, and that's what they would do so that the king or the prince or the royalty could come nice and smooth into the city that he was in. And this is what John the Baptist was. He was a harbinger. He was to set up for the coming king, the coming prince. Amen? And so when he would come, he was preaching repentance. He was saying, you've got to turn. Turn back to God. Israel was calling the nation of Israel and the people of God back to him. He went before Christ. And so we know um, that he baptized Jesus and, um, and he said, Jesus is... is uh, Jesus is the one, not me. Don't look at me. I'm just a harbinger. I'm the one to go before the one who was coming. I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals of the one who's coming, okay? And we know that he already had an encounter with Jesus. We read it in Matthew and some of the other accounts. Um, it doesn't talk too much about it in John, but we know that John baptized Jesus, okay? So we're picking up in verse 35 of chapter one. And it says, again, the next day, John was standing with his two disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked. In other words, Jesus was walking by. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if you read read back earlier in chapter 1, he says that again. But this is a second day in a row, it says, that he does this. He looks up, sees Jesus walking by. We know one day Jesus came to him, stepped into the river, and John baptized him. And then another day, Jesus walked by and said, uh, John said, look, it's the Lamb of God. And then this day, he says, look, the Lamb of God. Of God. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Again, John has been talking. John has been talking about this Jesus guy. There's a few days in a row that people are seeing him. And John's going, Look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I don't know how much the disciples knew 
of what he was talking about? Because to point at a man and say, look, it's the Lamb of God. What are you talking about? Well, he's talking about the Lamb that was slain since they came out of Passover. That came out of Egypt for Passover. They took the blood, they put it over the doorpost, and that's what saved them. That's what saved them from death. And they had been celebrating that all these years. So when he said the Lamb of God, they were like, what? The Passover lamb? What? The only thing that they might have been able to do to piece the clues together is understanding that the Lamb of God is what produced salvation for for them back then. I'm not sure they quite get it. It's important to think about how they would have responded to the Lamb of God. What now? But what they did know is that John has been talking about this Jesus guy. And if you read, a, uh, read back in John a little bit, it talks about this is the guy. This is the one um, who is God manifest or God shown or God in the flesh. So the two disciples heard John say this, and it wasn't the first time they heard it. And it says that they followed Jesus. Now pick up the scene. In verse 38, it says, Jesus turned around and saw them following. So Jesus is walking And I don't know how he walked. I don't know if he floated or if he actually walked. But he was walking along the way. And all of a sudden, he's like. And it says that John's two disciples came up behind him or were following him. And look at what Jesus says. By the way, these are red letters. But if you take the four Gospels in context, this is the third time we see Jesus speak. The first time is when he said, did you not know I would be about my father's business when he was 12 years old? The second time is when he came for John to baptize him. And John said, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, you need to do this so that it'll fulfill prophecy. That's the second time he spoke. This is the third time, Jesus, that we have an account of him speaking as far as chronologically. And this is what he said. He turns around to those guys and he says, what do you seek? What do you seek? Or what are you looking for? What are you after? What's your agenda? What's on your mind? What do you seek? And you can imagine them going, because they were following him, right? You know, I don't know where they thought he was going. What do you seek? And look what they said. They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Rabbi. Uh, And I think in that moment, they didn't know exactly what they did seek. You know how I know? Look what they said. Uh, uh, Where are you staying? And and I think Jesus is like, (laughs) because think about what he asked. What do you seek? These men who Jesus saw the day that he was being baptized by John, he knew that they were followers of John, been hearing John's teaching on repentance, changing your ways, seeking God. And he asked him, what? You guys are already in the flow here of finding God. What is it that you seek? And I could go major nuts on this theme. But what do you think Jesus was hoping they would answer? Maybe what he said later in Scripture, and we'll get to this, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. I don't know what these two disciples were seeking, but if they were like most other Jews, they were seeking a conquering king who would come and bring freedom from the oppression of their Roman rule. You guys know what I'm talking about? The king of glory who would come, swing wide the gates of liberation. You guys hear what I'm saying? What do you, what do you seek? And it wasn't a bad thing to want freedom want something 
more comfortable, something promised. Right? It's a bunch of, it's, it's a lot, it's good. But remember what he said, seek first later. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else, all your desires, all your hopes, all your dreams, everything that you need, physically, mentally, emotionally, that's going to take care of itself. If you will, seek first the kingdom of God. And he asked them, what do you seek? Now, they didn't, they didn't know all this. And so they're like, uh, where, where's your crib? Where, where are you staying? And I love Jesus' response. I, I personally think Jesus was a ham. I think he was funny. And he said, well, come and you'll see. Now, I want you to remember that. Come, follow me, and you will see. But I don't think Jesus was taking them or wanting them to see where he was staying. He was going to show them a whole lot more, and we're going to see that. So let's keep reading. They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said, I will show you. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his first brother, Simon, or his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought, them to, uh, he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Kepha, or some people say Cephas, but it's Kepha which translated is Peter, and we know means little rock, okay? Now, I'm, I, there's a lot that I could say right here because he's already called how many disciples? Can y'all count them? Four, if you really start looking. I won't get into it, but he's called four disciples at this point, okay? Now, I want you to think about this. And, and if, you're, if you want me to preach on Simon, actually, I guess back in April, I did a sermon called, Yes, Lord, I Love You, and I really laid out Peter's journey. And I would love for you to go back and listen to it because I think it's one of the most encouraging messages on how God will restore every, he will restore us from everything in every way and he will match the intensity of our sin with an intense restoration. Anyway, you can go back and listen to that. He says, you are Simon, you will be called Kepha. I'm not gonna go into that. Look, verse 43. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee. Now, you've got to remember, he's purposed because he's looking for his disciples. He is, the way he starts his ministry is that he is looking for people to pour into. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. By the way, that's the way a teacher or a rabbi would call a disciple. They would say, follow me. It was an invitation. And someone could say, yes, I will follow you or not. They would get up and leave things or not. So he was actually acting as a Jewish rabbi in that moment. Follow me. Be my disciple. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. So they all grew up playing t-ball. Okay. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him. Okay. Now, can we pause? Do you see what's going on? The two disciples of John follow Jesus. And if you look at it close, it says that both of them went and got their brothers. So that's four. And then Jesus went and found Philip. How many is that? Five. And then you look, (laughs) and he goes and he finds Nathaniel. 
So that's six people, I mean, within a couple of verses, six people follow Jesus. And I was thinking about how this is how Jesus started his ministry. And I thought about all the hoopla going, oh, I did it, I'm about to go there. All the hoopla that's going on right now with the ruling of the, of the stuff. And man, people are worried about a whole lot of things. It's kind of like Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Mary was at the feet of Jesus. Martha was going about busying herself. And Jesus said, Martha, you are, you are um, busy about so many things. But Mary has chosen the good part. I think that we need to be people who are choosing the good part and the important part. Not that that issue is not important, but we can get so focused on that that we forget that the very thing that Jesus left us with as far as a command or a um, uh, commission was what? Go make disciples. <laughs> we, if we are forsaking the making of disciples and seeking and sharing for the sake of fighting our cause or trying to change the culture or whatever, listen, you change culture by making disciples. That's how Jesus did it. You guys hear what I'm saying? And I love that these two guys that follow Jesus, where are you staying? I mean, they didn't even get a whole lot. They were following him to wherever he's staying. And they didn't even get a whole lot, but whatever it was they got in that moment, maybe it was looking in Jesus' eyes. I don't know how he zeroed in on them, but whatever they got, it was enough to make them go, I gotta go tell my brother. I got to go get my brother. We found the Messiah. So after they chose to follow Jesus, the first thing they did is the first thing Jesus did. They went and found others. They brought others to Jesus. Oh my goodness, we're getting terrible about that in the body of Christ. We baptized little Autumn this morning. It's a great, I mean tonight, it's a great reminder that people still get saved and not just four or five, six-year-olds that are in Sunday school and want to, you know, no. There are people who are lost and miserable. This week I had two major encounters with people that are absolutely miserable. Going around the mountains over and over and over, the same mountains, and they're miserable. And you know what? One of the things that is keeping them from getting off this mountain and coming to the Lord, because they both know that that's the right thing, these, these two people I'm talking about. The church. And the ideals that I just can't be good enough and I just don't love Jesus enough and I gotta give up all these sins, I gotta do this. It's like, you know, what did they do? They just followed him. They didn't even know the questions to ask. What do you seek? Well, God, what I seek is righteousness. I seek holiness and sanctification. Give me some of that propitiation. <laughs> they said, uh, where are you having lunch? They didn't know. They didn't love Messiah. They didn't even know Messiah. They just knew that they needed Messiah. I don't know how, how many of you have heard my testimony, but when I got saved, I didn't love Jesus. I just knew I needed him. I was miserable, suicidal, terrible sinner. No, I was a good sinner. Is that how you say that? It was awful. And listen, it was a journey, and I didn't know. I didn't have, it took me, from the time I got introduced to who Jesus really was by my wife, it really took two years, just little steps, and a little bit more, and then a little of this. It wasn't like she spoke to me, Jesus, and it was like, whoa, and the angel started flying. That's not what happened. I just kept going a little bit further and a little bit further and still doing half the stuff I was doing before. And eventually, it's like, you know, 
I need God. And I was afforded the opportunity to walk an aisle. Yes, it's old school and old fashioned, but I walked an aisle. And you know what? I signed a card and I had goosebumps, which obviously means I'm saved. (laughs) If you were lacking goosebumps, you need to go back to the altar. Jesus still saves people. Jesus is still about making disciples. You guys, if we are disciples who are not about making disciples, we have to question whether or not we're really disciples. This was the one commission. It wasn't to go fight the court. It wasn't to go reply on Facebook, your opinion. It was to go make disciples. If you want to minister, if you want to change the tide, if you want to do something significant in any area, but certainly the one that is prevailing right now, the prevalent issue, go, go find one person and bring them to Christ. Go find somebody. Go find your brother, your sister, your Uncle Bob. You know that crazy Uncle Bob that you avoid at Thanksgiving? Go lead him to Christ. Like, it's harder than you think. I understand. <laughs> Let's keep reading. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I've shared before, Nazareth wasn't much of a place. I mean, um, there wasn't a whole lot to write home about. You visit Nazareth and, you know, You just don't leave with anything significant in your head or heart. Philip said to him, come and see. I love that. Come on. Don't be cynical. Don't be, hey, listen, just come and see. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be cleaned up. You don't have to love him. Just come and see. All we did is ask where he's having lunch. Look look at me, I'm floating. (laughs) Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, listen, just come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. I love that. He sees it even when we're not quite there, still doing our stuff, still doing our stuff, and still doing our stuff. (laughs) He sees that we're coming. You guys, he knows the ones that are close. He knows the people that are, he knows the homosexuals that are struggling with that, how close they are. Did you know that most, I'm on the issue, but did you know that most people that are in the gay lifestyle do not want to be in the gay lifestyle? Did you know that? A lot of them don't understand how they got there. They don't understand that they're abused, um, their words spoken over them, uh, the things all line up to have led to that. They don't understand that. All they understand is, here's the way I am, but most of them understand that it's not quite normal and right. And they would now, you have those that are flagrant and they really celebrate the lifestyle. And we're going to talk about that probably week one, just so we can get that one out of the way of signs. But most people that struggle with that lifestyle, listen to me, are miserable and are like they're close. And Jesus knows it. I love this. Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. Just like he saw me 22 years ago, getting close. And you. 
And Jesus said to him, Whoa, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. I love that, you guys. He knew him. Jesus knew Nathaniel. Nathaniel didn't know Jesus, but Jesus knew Nathaniel. Now here, you guys, check it out. Here comes a true Israelite in whom there, some of your versions say there is no guile or there's no falsehood. What that means is this guy is um, the same guy whether he's in this crowd or he's in this crowd. He doesn't play games. What you see is what you get with Nathaniel. And Jesus celebrated that. Why? Because he doesn't like hypocritical. He doesn't like two-faced. You know what he celebrates? Someone. He would rather a sinner be a sinner than a sinner act like a saint. And of course he would like a saint not to act like a sinner. He just, you know what? If you're going to be a sinner, go be a sinner. You'll find yourself at the end of the rope. And when you do, you'll call out to me and I'll do what I said I would do. If you, you know? Just, but he celebrated it. There is a guy, a guy who there is no guile. And Nathan said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said, well, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. <laughs> now, I've heard preachers preach on this and, and they, they kind of do this thing where in that moment, they, they really focus on Jesus's omnipresence and, and they, they lap this Nathaniel into, well, Jesus sees everything. And in that moment, he saw even Nathaniel. You know what, what we don't understand is that under the fig tree is an idiom. It's a saying in the Jewish culture. When rabbis would teach their students, they would oftentimes teach them under fig trees. It was just it's what they did. Nice and shady outside. Yes, they would teach in the synagogues, but sometimes they'd do a field trip out to the fig tree. And so many students of the word would study and they would pray under the fig tree. So where we would say, I'm going to go into my prayer closet now and connect with God. They would say, hey, I'm going to go out under the fig tree. Does that make sense? So when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree... Jesus is, is not playing this omnipresent thing where I see everybody in the matrix. <laughs> He's saying, somebody was seeking me. What did he say earlier to those other disciples? What do you seek? Well, we know what Nathaniel sought. He was seeking the Lord. And Jesus felt it, knew it, saw it, understood it. I don't know. I can't vouch to that. But he's God, and he knew that Nathaniel was under the fig tree in the prayer closet seeking God an Israelite in whom there is no guile under the fig tree is this good or what I mean we're just kind of reading through this and making some stuff pop out and Nathaniel said dude you are the son of God you are the king of Israel and Jesus said hey listen because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And I love this. You're going to see greater things than this. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending 
in descending on the Son of God, which is probably a reference to Jacob's ladder. You guys know the story? This is what he called those first disciples to come and see. He wasn't, he wasn't taking them to his crib. He was saying, come and see the kingdom of God. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to follow me, Messiah, Jesus, what I'm going to show you, it's going to come from up there. And it's going to blow you away. You think it's cool that I discerned in the spirit that you were having a quiet time? Dude, I'm about to rock your world. Of course, the next thing he does is he turns water into wine. He backs up his word, doesn't he? A couple of questions I have. First of all, I'm all about assessing. My wife and I are all about assessing. We assess our lives all the time, mainly because we need it. You know what's that old, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You guys know, remember that hymn? Prone to wander. We're, we're prone to wander. We're prone to go off course. We're, we're prone to just do our own thing. And so we probably shouldn't go one day without assessing where we're at. And I think a great way to assess where we're at with the Lord is just by simply asking ourselves or asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the answer to the same question that Jesus ask the very first disciples, what do you seek? So my question to you guys tonight is, what are you in this for? What do you seek? What are you after? Well, I heard that whenever I was follow Jesus that my life would, would get better. Somebody sold you something. <laughs> it will get better because now there's an eternal hope. But that doesn't necessarily that your initial circumstances around you will change. They will as you take steps. You guys do realize that. As you, as you head in that direction, as you fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, he is going to perfect your faith. Right? What do you seek? We're sitting in here. We are, we're, and I wish, there were, I wish our whole congregation was here instead of at the lake. Because everybody needs to ask this question. What? What are you looking for? What is it that you're after? Because let me tell you something. The, the culture, the world, which is driven by the prince of the air, Satan, he is going to up his offer in the coming days. You better know what it is you seek. Because if not, you will be deceived into thinking something else is greater than the one who is ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You've got to know the answer to that question. If you're seeking anything else than Jesus, the Messiah, not a, not a conquering king who can sweep in and rescue you from your immediate situation, that's a good motivation. But if it's not leading you towards spiritual devotion, I've told the story about whenever Jesus called Peter, James, and John or when he talked to them that day out at the lake. Help them catch all this fish. It says that the, they were astonished at the catch of fish. And so they followed him. They didn't follow him because they loved Jesus. They just said, that dude can catch fish. <laughs> Let's follow him. They were naturally attracted to him. But three years later, 
They still didn't quite get it. But once they were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, whoa, now I get it. And all of a sudden they were spiritually devoted. Listen, we may start out naturally attracted. What do you seek? What do you seek? And that's okay. For me, I didn't love Jesus. I I said that. I didn't love Jesus. I didn't say yes to Jesus because I loved him. I didn't even know him. I got to know him and now I love him. But at first, I just knew I needed him. I just knew I needed him. That dude can catch some fish. I was miserable. I'm hearing of this hope. That's what I need. I don't even understand all the details. It's kind of like when we, you know, we get some renewal thing on our apps or whatever. Hey, renew your app. Okay. Um, Do you agree to the terms? Yeah. We don't want to read any of that. We just agree. Well, I didn't even know the terms, but I agreed. But what do you seek? What do you seek? And I'm asking that really to a lot of people who have been believers for a long time. Because what you were seeking when you first got saved probably shouldn't be the same things that you're seeking now that you've been with the Lord for a while. It's okay to have started out naturally attracted. But at what point are you going to be spiritually devoted? Because it's going to be the spiritually devoted followers that Jesus said and and Paul affirmed through the epistles and even Peter. It's going to be the spiritually devoted that won't be deceived in the last days. In those days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, blasphemers, sexual sexual, uh, immoral, sexually immoral, There will be idolaters. I mean, the list is pretty significant. Why are they choosing those things? Because somebody has sold them that that is the better stuff. Spiritually devoted people to Christ will not choose that stuff. They won't. But people who are floundering and don't know how to answer this question, what do you seek? They're going to they're gonna jump. You telling me that I won't be able to buy or sell or eat or provide for my family unless I take this thing in my hand or on my head? You telling me I'm going to go hungry for more than 15 minutes? Well, give it to me. I'll take it. Even though you know that Scripture says something's going to happen and that once you do that, you will not be able to make it into heaven again? Because you chose that? That's why it says to watch and and be aware? I'm just telling you, man, I want to eat. I'd rather starve than to be separated from God. Are we at that place (laughs) in our spiritual devotion? Because if we're not, we got some work to do. Now, I don't mean this as a guilt trip. I'm just saying, you guys, Jesus is coming back and he's very clear. I'm coming back for a pure and spotless bride. That doesn't mean perfect. It just means people that are consistently following the Lord. Another place it says, whenever I return, I wonder if I will find any who are faithful. Basically what he's saying is, who are the ones that are spiritually devoted to me? Who are choosing me, choosing this day whom they will serve. Just like Joshua did when all the people were choosing the the gods of the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Amalekites. I don't know why you guys are doing, what has God done to you that you would choose all those goofy gods? Look at our great God. I don't know what you're going to do, but it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. And you choose this day whom you're going to serve. It's for me and my house. We're going for God. What do you seek? What do you seek? And the second question 
is what Nathan, I'm going to, I'm going to change the question up a little bit. Nathan said, how do you know me? (laughs) How do you know me? And Jesus said, let me tell you how I know you. Or better yet, let me tell you why I know you. And we know Jesus knows him because he created him. Let me tell you how I know you. Let me tell you why I know you. You've been under the fig tree. That's how I know you. That's how I saw you coming. When do you go under the fig tree? Do you go under the fig tree? I guess that's more than one question in it. How often do you go under the fig tree? Do you love going under the fig tree? One of the things I love about the fig tree is that's the sweet fruit. I'm going to go up. I'm going to get under that fig tree. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. Which is what the Word of God is supposed to be. Sweet. Fresh. Satisfying. Do you go into the fig tree? Do you go into the prayer closet? Do you go to a quiet place? And I could be totally assuming or stereotyping, but most people don't anymore. They don't. They don't get away and get quiet and pray because they have too many bells and whistles. And I'm just as guilty, possibly the chief sinner in that area. But listen, we have a groom that is coming back for a bride. I'm going to talk more about that in this series. But he's coming back for a bride that he knows. He's coming back for a bride that has kept herself pure and faithful. That has rejected the offers by other grooms. Guys, understand that? I'm sorry, I'm spoken for. I'm, sp- I'm sorry, uh, I got this engagement wing on. I'm sorry, um, someone's already paid a high price for me. Let's stand.